Well, good morning to you in Maranatha. Our Lord comes, and I try to remind you of this fact every Sunday, but this Sunday, today, it's going to be the theme of our message. And just as I, I brought up last week, we're going to be talking about uh, our Lord's return and how soon is it today. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about uh, the doctrine of salvation. I think there are two uh, extremely important doctrines that so often either get overlooked or they're just so boggled and messed up and, and not scriptural that I think we need to address those from time to time because what's important is what does the scripture say concerning the coming of the Lord and what about the doctrine of salvation? To me, that's one of the, that is so absolutely important that we understand what is the gospel message that we are to proclaim today during this dispensation of grace. <clears throat> As you can tell, allergies just seem to have just uh, jumped on, on top of me. So Mike made sure I had water up here, and we're hoping to get, be able to get through this a message this morning. But we're going to be talking about the Lord's return. How soon is the coming of Christ? Uh, when can we look for the Lord's return? Do the scriptures provide insight into what it is that, that we hold near and dear concerning the scriptures? This morning, this message is not to discourage you. Uh, actually, the opposite is... is uh, what, why we're preaching this, this message. Uh, it's not to discourage you. It's absolutely not to, to frighten you, but it's to motivate you to desire to want to serve the Lord Jesus, to motivate you to action and to service. It's, it's mainly to, to encourage you in your walk with the Lord Jesus, realizing that your labor is not in vain in, in the Lord, that, uh, we can trust him as we serve, that yes, he is coming. The rapture of the church, in my mind, is imminent. And what that means is that it can happen at any time. What we need to understand is that there are absolutely, positively, no prophecies. There are no signs. There are no wonders. There's absolutely nothing that has to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church can take place. All the prophecies, all the, the signs connect, are connected to the second coming, as we're going to see, not to the rapture. The rapture of the church can happen at any moment, preferably before I finish this message. Maybe, hopefully the rapture will take place before my voice uh, is gone, will be gone before my, my voice is this morning. Uh, but here's one of the most important aspects, one of the most important points that I want to make this morning uh, during the sermon. I know a lot of people have a little bit of fear. They have a lot of trepidation concerning their standing before the Lord when He, when he comes. Uh, the thought of seeing Him face to face, as so many of those songs we were singing uh, referred to, that there's a little bit of trep trepidation when you stop and think about standing before the Lord, whether it be in death or at His coming, here's the point I want to make. Here is the attitude that I want St. Louis Bible Fellowship to have. It's not about our 
faithfulness. It is about His. When you go, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to stand in fear. Yeah, you will. Yeah, it's, it's when you stop and think about the Bema Seat of Christ, when you stop and think about us standing before the Lord Jesus, that is a fearful thing to contemplate. And when I stop and think about that, the thing that brings peace, that floods my soul, the thing that, that causes a calmness to come over me, and I am certain it is the Holy Spirit, is when I realize that my standing before Him, my position in Him, is based on His faithfulness. That He is going to keep His Word even when I fail, even when I stumble, even when I do things that I know are not pleasing to Him. And I think, oh, what if He were to come back right then? You ever thought that? Well, my position in Him, my security in Him, is all based on His faithfulness. And I am in Christ. And therefore I am certain that the dead in Christ shall rise first. I'm in Christ. And those of us that remain who are in Christ shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. It's not because I've been working so hard. It's not because I have been such a wonderful servant. It's not because I've been laboring on His behalf. It is because of His faithfulness that I will be caught up to meet Him in the, in the air. And that brings such a calmness. That brings such a peace. That brings such a certainty and assurance that it causes me to look forward to that day. Certain in His faithfulness. In 2 Timothy chapter 4. Turn there with me this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 4. One of the last things that Paul is writing to young Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. Paul says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. <coughs> That's pretty wonderful, isn't it? All of you who love his appearing, that there is a crown of righteousness laid up for us. I've had folks say, oh, you preachers, you've been saying he's coming for a long, long time. You've been talking about why every week you remind your people that Jesus comes. You've been saying that. Well, see, Peter addressed that same issue, that same argument in relationship to the second coming. And there are signs. There are Wonders. There are uh, prophecies concerning the second coming, but Peter addressed that. So whether it be the rapture of the church that we are we are proclaiming and we are looking forward to, or the second coming of Christ, uh, Peter addresses that. Look at Second Peter; he gives them a reason. Second Peter chapter three, 
Start with verse 1. 2 Peter 3, 1. The second epistle, beloved, I write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Drop down to verse 8 there, Tim, or Charles. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Peter here is talking about the second coming of Christ. He is talking about that event that takes place at the end of the tribulation period. And there are indications, there are prophecies, there are signs that are connected to that second coming. And they're going to be able to determine just exactly, uh, not the day, not the hour, but as they get closer to that time, those tribulation saints are going to have the scriptures to go to, and they're going to understand that he's coming. That's part of the gospel of the kingdom that they're going to be proclaiming during that seven-year period, during that tribulation period. We have already enjoyed the rapture. We have already enjoyed our resurrection when we're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Remember this as we get into this. The tribulation period... That seven-year period, that time of Jacob's trouble, that uh, Daniel's 70th week, that seven-year period is a time of tribulation such as the world has never seen. It is a time that God's wrath is poured out on the world, both with the trumpet judgments and with the vile judgments, and it's not going to... uh, it, it's going to be certain to them that it is God who is pouring out His wrath. Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, who thought that the, they were already in the day of the Lord, that they wrote him a letter, or somebody had written him a letter saying, you're in the day of the Lord, and they freaked out because they know what the Scriptures say concerning the day of the Lord and how absolutely horrible it's going to be. And what does Paul say them, to them? Hey, God's not appointed us to wrath. Oh, hallelujah. People say, oh, well, that just means hell. No, it doesn't. That means judgment. No, it doesn't. It means when the wrath of God is poured out during that tribulation period. And saints, God has not appointed us to wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 tells us we've not been appointed to wrath. 1 Thessalonians 5.10 tells us that we've not been appointed to wrath. We can, we can enjoy, we can praise him for that truth that we're not going to be part of that tribulation period as we count the days for the second coming as a matter of fact 
uh, as we're going to see in a second, Matthew 24 gives them uh, specific things that are taking place during that tribulation period. One of the main things that takes place that's going to be able to mark that date before the second coming is the fact that the beast is going to go in and he's going to declare himself to be God in the temple, going to commit the abomination that makes desolation, the, the abomination of desolation. He's going to declare himself to be God and that, that midway point in the tribulation is going to introduce God's judgments and then at the end of that, the, the, the vile judgments. And so they're going to be able to mark those tribulation saints, those who are believing that Christ is the Messiah, that he's coming, that are enduring till the end. The end of what? The end of that tribulation? They're they're going to be able to mark their calendars and know that the second coming of Christ is coming. We, the church, the body of Christ, we have the assurance that he's coming for us. But the second coming, does Christ come all the way back to earth and establish his kingdom? Is that scriptural? Absolutely. So the second coming has Christ coming all the way back to earth, stepping on the Mount of Olives and and establishing his kingdom where he's going to rule, where the promises to the apostles that they're going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel, all of the blessings that have been made to Israel are going to find their fulfillment. They're going to be that nation of priests during that thousand-year rule, that all of those promises that the prophets foretold concerning Israel and the blessings and and all the things that are going to happen to the land and and all of those things are going to find their fulfillment during that time. But the rapture, that's for us. That is our resurrection. Now the purpose of this this sermon this morning is is not to, to really show the difference between the rapture and the second coming. There are uh, number one, we just mentioned the second coming. He comes all the way to earth. He, he establishes his kingdom. In the rapture, what happens? We're caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's a totally different, totally different exit. The rapture is part of that mystery that was given to the Apostle Paul. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. Verse 13. The problem with this sermon and preparation is I kept getting off on so many rabbit trails because there are so many wonderful side roads to take as you're, you're studying this. And they're all good. They're all a blessing. I just wish you could be in my study with me during this, during this time. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are dead or asleep, that you sorrow not even as uh, others which have no hope. So, so Paul is telling the church here in Thessalonica, I don't want you to be ignorant. So he's getting ready to tell them something pretty important. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe in that Jesus died and rose again? Okay, guess what? You're going to be part of what he's getting ready to say. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. 
And for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The second coming, he comes all the way to earth. Every eye sees him. The nation of Israel, it says that they, they see him who they pierced, and they loathe themselves. They mourn. This is a mystery. This is part of this present dispensation which was hid in God and not revealed. This resurrection here, this coming of Christ for His church is our mystery exit. It's how God removes the church, the body of Christ, before He takes up with His fulfillment of His promises to Israel and all the, the prophecies concerning the tribulation and God's dealing with Israel and God's dealing with the nation. Because everything that God said He's going to do concerning Israel, everything God said He's going to do concerning the judgment of the nations, He's going to do. But before He does that, He calls us home. The rapture takes place, and we are caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's what it says. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. You know why these words are comfort? Because we've not been appointed to wrath. We've not been appointed to the day of the Lord. That is the only period of time. It is the tribulation period, and especially the last three and a half years of that, where God's wrath is depicted and discussed. Even at the great white throne judgment, where the unjust have, have, and the lost have received their resurrection and their being judged, there's not wrath being poured out. There's peace. The whole description of that is there's peace. There is perfect judgment. But there is no wrath being poured out. The only time in Scripture when it talks about wrath is in, is in relationship to the tribulation period. We're not part of that. So I'm trying to comfort you. I'm trying to comfort you with that truth. Because I'll tell you what, I comfort myself with it. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. You say, well, yeah, but you say it's a mystery. Just as this present dispensation was a mystery, hid in God until it was revealed to the Apostle Paul, look at 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? When are we going to say that? As we're being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's when we're going to be able to say, yeah, death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? Look, we're being caught up. That's when that scripture is going to find its fulfillment. 
And the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be as steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, because He's coming to get you. And you're going to stand at the bema seat of Christ, the reward seat of Christ. Go back to 2 Thessalonians real quick because we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper here in just a little bit. I want to get so many of these scriptures in. But look at 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Start with verse 1. 2 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1. Now we beseech you by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. That's what, that's what it's, the rapture is all about, our gathering together unto him. Where? In the air. Not gathering together with him at the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, but our gathering together unto him. That you be not so soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day, talking about the tribulation, the day of the Lord, the day of Christ, that day shall not come, except there come a departure first. Now, I love the King James Bible. I use exclusively the King James Bible. But there is, here is where one word needs to be interpreted clearly. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away. Makes it, it looks as if, and it's the Greek word apostasia, but that word is translated departure yes it has to do with a falling away but there's no preposition it's saying here let no man deceive you except there come a departure first what departure is that the rapture that that man of sin is not going to be revealed until there be a departure first remember that verse we read a little while ago with paul says i'm 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 ready to be offered up the time of my departure is at hand He wasn't talking about his falling away from the faith. He was talking about his departure. Well, that's what this verse is talking about. That man of sin will not be revealed except there come a departure first and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. So before the beast, before the Antichrist, before that tribulation, there's going to be a departure. And we're all going to be part of that. And I don't know about you, but I'm happy for it. The rapture, again, has no signs or prophecies that need to be fulfilled before the rapture takes place. There are some indicators, things we need to be watching for. There are things that are indicative of the world's condition when the rapture takes place. As a matter of fact, that's why Titus, in the book to Titus, Paul calls it our blessed hope, talking about the appearing of the Lord Jesus. 
It's our blessed hope is that rapture. And this morning, I want us to look at some of those things that, that are related to the second, or the, the rapture of the church. Now, some of those things related to the second coming, and this is important. Some of those things related to the second coming of Christ, I think, are in the formation today. I think, I think there are a lot of things that are happening today that will be in force when the, when the second coming takes place. See, it's the same thing, and I've shared this with you before, and it's so true, that if all of a sudden you, you see people scurrying around to the department store and buying presents, and all of a sudden they're putting lights on their houses, and they're putting up trees with lights on them, and they're saying, start saying, or you start hearing Christmas carols, and you start hearing people say, Merry Christmas, you know Thanksgiving is right around the corner. See, it's the same. When you see some of these things that are starting to take place, uh, Daniel chapter 12, I think around verse 10, says in the last days, there's going to be, uh, knowledge is going to increase. <laughs> that people are going to be going to and fro. That's indicative of what's going to be happening in the second, the second coming, in the last days. But all the Scripture is very clear about things connected to, to, to the latter days. There's going to be talk about a one-world government. You hear people talk about globalism and, and a one-world government, and, and the, United, the United Nations is, is pushing for this type of thing, and a one-world currency. You hear that every day on the news. Um, a one-world religion, uh, just the general attitude and condition of the world seems ready to embrace a world leader that's going to come on the scene and solve so many of the problems. The world is, is, is ready for that type of thing. There are so many things that are taking place. Matthew 24, the, the apostles say, Lord, what, what are the signs of your coming? And he, what is he, he starts talking to them about earthquakes. Are we having earthquakes? Yeah, boy. Are we having famines? Are, we, are there pestilences? By the way, I've, one good thing about moving is I didn't sign up for direct TV or anything like that, and I've just barely ever watched the news. Oh, what a blessing that has become. I didn't think, I mean, I thought I was going to miss it, but I've got to tell you, I'm not missing it. But anyway, that's a whole different topic. Uh, but is, he, in Matthew 24, he says, but this is just the beginning of sorrows. That he, and he's talking to the apostles, and he tells them in Matthew 24, he says, they're going to hate you, talking to the apostles, that you're going to be a despised nation. What nation is he talking about? Israel. That whole Matthew 24 is all about, is all about the nation of Israel and what they can expect and the second coming. But when you start seeing those issues become headline news, how much closer is our departure, the rapture of the church? And that's why I say, get ready, folks. Are you prepared? Because I believe the rapture of the church, again, is imminent. It can take place at any moment. 
And what I want the Lord to find me doing and this church doing is witnessing and working and waiting with outstretched arms saying, Lord, come. Even so, come. Lord, we're ready for you. And when I do watch the news, and it's aggravating and it's disturbing, the one thing is the Lord's coming. I can trust him to come and get me. By the way, okay, real quick. There are no mathematical equations. There is nothing that you can do and go back into the Old Testament and count the feast days and try to determine from feast days or from any numbering system related to Israel to fix a date on the rapture of the church. And one of the main ones that is absolutely not scriptural is taken from Matthew 24, and it has to do when you see the fig tree bloom and it buds and you know that summer is nigh. It has nothing to do with Israel becoming a nation. They go back to 1948 and they say, in this generation shall pass away. has nothing to do with this. Matter of fact, let's look at it. And you tell me what it has anything to do with. But oh, how many really deplorable doctrinal truths. How many people have tried to determine when Christ is coming back using Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 22. Now, first of all, all the other places... Uh, the rest of that, that chapter, he's talking about what to expect and the signs that are going to be occurring. When you've, seen this, when you've seen this abomination of desolation, he's telling these people, run for the hills. Because there's about to be a tribulation such as the world has never seen. And Christ is quoting Daniel 12. He talks about the second coming and, and the tribulation. And after that, the moon is not going to give its light and the, and the stars are going to fall. And he's, all the things that Joel talks about in the tribulation. And he talks about in verse 30, And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That's the second coming. It's not the rapture. The rapture is a mystery exit. The world's going to be going, what happened? What happened? Oh, those pesky Christians, hey, they're gone. Let's celebrate. Aliens must have come and gathered them up on the mothership and whoosh, threw them off. They're going to come up with almost, they're going to come up with almost as many crazy ideas as Jeff, Jeffrey Epstein killing himself. But that's a whole other different topic, too. But I'm not going to get on that. But look at verse 32. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. That's nothing to do with Israel. That just has to do with when you see the fig tree blooming, when you, you, you look at the fig tree, when it starts doing what it's doing, you know that summer is nigh. Nothing to do with Israel becoming a nation. But they've read all of that into it. So likewise, when you shall see all of these things, what things? Everything he just talked about in Matthew 24. You know that summer is nigh. It's even at the door. And verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away. Which generation? 
The generation that sees all these things take place. This generation shall not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Once these things start, once this tribulation and the things that are described here start, you got seven years, and it's going to happen. So when you start trying to put a number, when you start to, to, to the Lord's return, you are doing the cause of Christ more injustice than you are trying to educate people. Because when people tell me when the Lord is coming, that's one day I know He's not coming. When they start setting a date like they were doing last year and the year before that, and I think the year before that, and if I'm not wrong, the year before that, that's one day during the year I know the Lord's not coming. But anyway, back, back to here. Let, let me give you real quick some indicators of what to expect. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, and Paul's talking about this present dispensation, some shall depart from the faith. See, the Holy Spirit's perfectly capable of giving us, telling us how to relate that word, that apostasia, depart from the faith. There are going to be some departing from the faith, giving heed to seducing devils and spirits and doctrines of devils. He's talking about the church. He's not so much talking about redeemed people, but he's talking about the church. And if you, you better believe that there are seducing spirits in the church today. And one of the primary things that is taking place in so many of this emergent church and some of these seeker-friendly churches, and some of these churches that are bursting out at the seams is because of the preaching and the teaching that's just tickling the people's ears, and they love it. They're hearing what they want to hear about how good they are and how, how right they are. And there's one thing that's going on, and I think we need to have a conference concerning this because we need to be aware it has to do with contemplative prayer. How many of you heard of contemplative prayer? Basically, it's transcendental meditation introduced to the church. Contemplative prayer is all... It's a lazy man's way of praying, by the way. It's basically yoga. It's basically opening your mind, and it is being pushed in so many churches today. And it is, well, you don't talk to God, and that's what prayer is. You don't converse with God. You just sit, and you open your mind, and you focus on an icon, or you focus on an image. I can't tell you how dangerous that is. And you come up with a, you pick a word. And this is going on all in churches everywhere. You're not praying to God, you're thinking of a word. It might even be a good word. It might even be grace. It might be peace. It might be faith. And you just keep saying that word over and over and over. And it's supposed to take you into an altered state of spiritual renewal. I'm telling you, it's, it's all new age. 
It's all new age, and the churches are embracing it because they don't want to hear that hell is hot, that if you're lost, that's where you're going to go, that sin is sin. It's, they don't want to hear that. And so they're embracing this new age garbage. No, there's so much more on that. For, and it goes on to say, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats. Somebody told me I had to abstain from a steak. You can forget it. I ain't believing that. But actually the word has to do with foods. And it has everything to do with aestheticism. Is, am I pronouncing that right? Where you deny yourself in order to say, Hey God, you see how spiritual I am? You, you see how wonderful I am? Well, I'm doing, I'm not getting married. It has nothing to do with the Catholic Church. It has nothing to do with not eating meat on... Well, it might have something to do with it, but, it's, but really it's so much broader than that. It has everything to do with, I'm going to deny myself so that you'll love me more, or I'm going to deny myself so that I'm enriching my experience. It has everything to do with placing on that individual these strict guidelines, these strict, restrict, these strict restrictions, these strict guidelines... Uh, rigorous abstention in order to make yourself feel more spiritual. That's a doctrine of the devil. And that's exactly what's happening. Look at Second uh, Second Timothy 3. Second Timothy 3. And this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Yeah, boy. And I think they're on us. For men should be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. I think that's kind of interesting that that is thrown in here. All of these horrible things, disobedient to parents, is one of those things listed. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Hmm, wonder what that could be. Truth breakers, false accusers, without self-control, fierce despisers of those that are good. If we had time, we'd go into all of these. But traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, we're talking about an established religion. We're talking about things that are going on in the church. You want to know how close we are to the rapture of the church? You look at the church and what's going on in the churches and the attitude of people in the churches. And it fits what Paul says is going to happen in the last days. How close are we to Christ's coming? You just examine the modern church today. And that will give you an idea. And there's so many, I wish that would go into a lot of those things, what they're doing. But we don't have time. Here's the issue, folks. Number one, we've not been appointed to wrath. You have a special, special place in the body of Christ. And not only do you have a special place, but you have a special calling. Are you using that calling to serve Him? God's Word tells us that today is the day of salvation. 
Today is the day when we proclaim the gospel of the grace of God. Right now, while heaven is silent, talking about the silence of God, when we're, we're not hearing from God like they're going to hear from Him during the tribulation. Right now, what's being poured out is God's grace. Right now, it's that's the period of time we're in where we can preach the gospel freely. We can stand here and share the truth of God's word. But I guarantee you, after the church is raptured out, that's going to come to a screeching halt. And the beast, the antichrist, the false prophet, and those who are going to believe that Christ is the Messiah and are going to be martyred in masses, are going to wish that they had believed during this time. So what about you? Do you know the Lord Jesus is your Savior? Have you believed that he died for you? Do you believe that he was buried and he rose again? By faith you have trusted him for your salvation, realizing you can't save yourself, realizing you're a sinner, and by faith, believing in Christ Jesus. Don't try to add to it because there's nothing you can add to the complete and finished work of Christ that's going to satisfy God. God the Father is absolutely satisfied with the work of Christ the Son, God the Son on Calvary's cross. And you believe that. You believe what He did. And you're made a new creation. Part of the modern church today, one of the things they do, and they've been doing for a long time, is ooh, ooh, we got to add to that. We've we got we to gotta add something to God's all-sufficiency. You can't be complete in Christ. Who cares what the Bible says until you've done this, 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 and this, and this. And I'm telling you, that doesn't please God. What pleases God is recognizing Christ died on Calvary's cross, that He shed His blood, that He suffered an agonizing death in your place. That's what pleases God when you recognize that. That's why he instructs us to observe the Lord's Supper out of gratitude and appreciation. does two things. We do show the Lord's death until he comes, number one. And number two, it shows the unity of the body of Christ.